Father, we're so thankful for the day. We're so thankful, Lord, that it's the Lord's day. It's a beautiful day. And we're thankful, Lord, for the reason that we have to be here today. We know in the Old Testament people met on Saturday, but Lord, we meet on Sunday, and there's a reason for that, because the first day of the week, our Lord first forth from that grave and eternal life gives us the same. We're, we're just so thankful. And so I pray today as we're gathered here uh, on this important day that you'll just bless us. You'll bless those who come, uh, meet their needs, help them in every possible way. We pray, Lord, if there's anybody here today who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that they'll hear the gospel singing and words of others around them and preaching. In some way, the Holy Spirit will hold their hearts and leave this place rejoicing that they're saved, as are so many of us. And so bless those who might need that today. And the Lord, others who might need just a touch from you, whether it's encouragement, just strength, or just help, some trial of life. I pray that you just meet the needs of your people today. And when we leave, we'll all be able to say that it was good to be in the house of the Lord. Father, we don't just pray this for ourselves. We pray this for uh, Lord every other church around us this meeting where the gospel goes forth. Lord, if it's going forth today, I pray it goes forth with clarity and power and success. I pray you build your kingdom, not just here, uh, but in all of these churches around us. And, and Father, we pray that in the, in the moments that remain before Jesus comes, we'll all be working hard to see people saved. And so we just pray for the other churches. We pray for our, our missionaries.
Wednesday, we have our Bible talk with the elders. We have some questions left from last time, but we could use a few more. So if you have questions uh, that you would just uh, really like to know the answer to, a lot of things going on in our world that uh, might have caused questions in your mind. So ask, and we will try our best to answer those. Look on the back, if you would, uh, you can just read these on your own, but we've been receiving some responses from recipients of our. Christmas shop, Christmas baskets, and they're kind of uh, fun to read. I don't know some of the kids there. Some of them have been in Spanish. Uh, they're in there. Well, those are Spanish, they've been translated probably from Google Translate, so not real sure how accurate that'll be, but uh, I think they're pretty good. So make sure you read those. Uh, if you want to today, the floor is now done in the gymnasium in the, in the new building, uh, and it is safe to walk on as of today. And so if you want to take a look at that, you're welcome to. Any other announcements I'm missing? All right, it's time for the Phil's going to make his way up here, and uh, our families and Phil, Phil will go to introduce because he knows all their names. If you guys could come on up here, and we just want to talk to you for a minute. Our years at Wellspring, we were blessed to have lots of young families, little kids, and we watched little kids become bigger kids and then bigger kids. And Renee and Clara were there when we came. And then along came Ambrose and then Elise right at the end. And, and of course, Jen was there. Jen's a pharmacist in the Alliance area. And Jason has Birdsland Outfitters in Alliance. So, the Birds family. And they were always a visible part of everything we did, as you can tell. And uh, Jason started a trail life and kind of functioned in every role there, I think. So we thought it would be great to hear from them. Uh, and they'll tell you more because I don't remember exactly how long they were in it. But uh, Pastor Bill has a few questions, and then I have a couple. And so let's grill them a little. Yeah. And, and if you have questions, don't, don't hesitate. Incidentally, lest we forget, right at the end, if you have questions, uh, they'll be available to talk about any, anything that you want to know about prayer life or American heritage groups. Okay, my first question is for the parents, and uh, we've got a, a folks here who are on the fence, who are thinking about this, we're trying to get this started in September, so could you just kind of tell us a little bit what attracted you to prayer life, and then why did you find it something that you want to get involved in? Just as much for the dads as it is for the boys. So if you look 
sure you've seen in the media that our counterpart uh, opposition can't even join the boys. We are girls. We like being girls. We do girl things. <laughs> and we like it that way. And so we're very proud that girls are girls. <laughs> so both of these ministries, the Girl Life is very much tailored towards boys and teaching them.
not. Uh, afterward, you can talk to them more individually. Uh, they're going to be here for a few minutes, and the kids are welcome to go to church. One thing I would say to this congregation is, even if you're not helping directly, uh, financially is a big one. It does cost a little more money to buy supplies, and you know, it's not much. Uh, 
thank you for this time. Help us as we wait for the, uh, the bread and juice to make its way to us to spend some time talking to you. Lord, if there's anything in our heart or life that needs to be dealt with, if we stand up and confess, help us to confess it to them, protect joyfully. And Lord, I just pray that you guide me every way with this part of the service. We pray in Jesus' name.
I didn't quite understand what they were saying. It took me a few minutes in reading the article to find out exactly what, how they were using the term. But it's the term GOAT. Usually, capital G, capital O, capital A, capital T. Now that one you're a little more familiar with. And the GOAT is the greatest of all time. And you see it in every arena. You see it in politics. And among people my age, we see it in our medical professionals, my knee uh, uh, doctor is the GOAT, or my heart surgeon is the GOAT. You know, if we sit down in conversation, and, and it's amazing how often that comes up. I go to the greatest specialist in the world. Well, but it's really used more often in sports. Uh, I have heard so much, you know, that I sports fan, I like basketball, but I have heard so much conversation on who's the GOAT in basketball. And of course, LeBron James comes up, Michael Jordan comes up, uh, Lou Alcindor, or Kareem Jabbar comes up, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, all these names come up of who's the GOAT. And what's always interesting to me is who's making that assessment. Because many times, the person that is trying to present, and they're so sure they're right, they're trying, trying to present the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the person is a journalist whose major was English grammar and hasn't really the foggiest idea of who the GOAT is, but they still enter into the conversation. And then often, and I kind of listen to these guys, it's the has-beens. Those are the former great players and uh, incidentally, I have offered to do Charles Barkley's job for half the cost. Half the price. I'll take his place. Because I can argue and make a fool of myself and take half the money that he does. But these, the has-beens, the old players, they'll talk about who's the GOAT. And then sometimes it's the wannabes, the young guys who are aspiring players that talk about it. And, but, but the term GOAT has become pretty popular, especially, especially in the literature. But I want to think for a moment this morning about, and this may seem illegitimate to you, to think of a superlative term when you talk about Christians, people who are followers of Christ. And the question might be, who is the greatest of all the followers of Christ? And as I said, it might seem illegitimate, but trash with me, and I think you'll see that maybe it's a valid question. When I think of the greatest followers of Christ, I think of Peter and Paul, the apostles. Uh, I think of the church fathers and some of the great contributions they made to the early church, people like Polycarp or Justin Martyr. Uh, and then I think of the reformers through the ages people like Luther and Calvin, great men who accomplished great things for the Lord. And then if you move into modern history, uh, in my life, D.L. Moody, even though he lived before me, he had a significant imprint on my life through Moody Bible Institute. And so there, there are people that strike us. Certainly Billy Graham would become a part of that conversation. There are people who strike us as being significant in God's uh, kingdom and contributing to the, the things of the Lord. And one of the questions becomes, how do you make that judgment of who's significant? And the answer is simple. 
There's only one person, one being, whose assessment really means anything, and it isn't Charles Barkley, and it isn't Shaquille O'Neal. There's only one assessment that means anything, and that's the Lord himself. And how the Lord views us becomes very important. And hold that thought for a minute. If we use God's standard, I think of several people in Scripture who were really significant people. Abraham. Abraham became the father of the faithful. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, right? So Abraham is a significant figure seen throughout Scripture. Moses. At the end of Moses' life, there was not another like Moses who knew the Lord face to face. Moses was a significant person. Uh, how about Job? Job, one of the most significant in the Bible to me because the Lord said of Job, saying to the adversary, Have you seen my servant Job? Have you considered him? He is special. And so the Lord called him special. So, you know, these people all are significant to us. David, Solomon, all of them had accolades directly from the Lord. But look with me at Mark chapter 9. And let's think of this idea of the greatest through a little more. Mark chapter 9. I'm going to pick it up in verse 30 and read most of that paragraph. Mark 9, 30. Then they departed from there and they passed through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples, and he said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he's killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? So you get the picture. They arrived at their destination, and Christ, being who he was, he looked at the disciples and said, what were you guys talking about? Did he know already? Mm. Yeah, he did. And look at the next verse, 34. But they kept silent. For on the road, they had been disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all, and the servant of all. All of us, I think, want to be significant, don't we? I mean, isn't there something in every person that wants to be in some way significant? Uh, it's amazing the links that we will go to to be significant. Sometimes we will do it in the second person, I know, and we'll fill in the blank. The, the problem is, I don't have any famous people that I know that I could name drop. So I'm not sure who to say. The closest I could have, maybe, would be a, an old friend of mine. I played a lot of basketball with him back in, in the day. And his name was Doug Sims. And he played about two games with the Cincinnati Royals. And he's a teammate of Oscar Robertson. That's the best I can do, folks. I, I can't get any closer. 
And but we do that without thinking sometimes. I know, and then we fill in the blank, or I shook hands with. Now, don't say you don't do this. Come on now. You know that we all do it. Or I shook hands with, or I ran into, or somehow we'll use someone else's significance to kind of become a little more significant ourselves. Well, as these disciples are riding along the road, they're discussing back and forth. And I don't think it's going this way. I don't think it's them saying, Pastor Billy, you're going to be the greatest. You? I think it was somehow drawing it to themselves. And incidentally, I am so dry, I don't think I'm going to make it. Pastor Billy, there's water over here. There's water over here. Okay. There is indeed. Thank you. So even in the early disciples, there was this uh, contest for who's going to be significant and which of us is going to be the greatest. That's a superlative. That's not even just comparative. This is the singular greatest. And that was their discussion along the way. There's a related story. Incidentally, did you see Christ's answer in verse 35? Counterintuitive. He sat down. He called them. And he said, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And the reason I asked him for water is I really thought he would have to go downstairs <laughs> and bring me back a cup of water. And I wanted to use that as an illustration. You, you destroyed my illustration. <laughs> but he did that once before. So just keep it in your memory. Uh, but the greatest, well, he's going to be the servant of all. Look at chapter 10, lest you think that's an isolated circumstance. In chapter 10, let's pick it up at verse 35. Then James and John, part of the inner circle, those closest to Christ, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Have your kids ever asked you a question like that, or someone ever asked you, Will you just do whatever I want you to do? Well, Christ was way too wise for that. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. So what were they asking for? They wanted the closest proximity, the places of special honor for themselves. Now, I bet later they'd have had a fist fight on who's on the right and who's on the left. But they, they wanted to nail down that they were going to have those two positions. One on the right, one on the left. But keep reading. Look what happens. They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, verse 37, on your right and on your left, in your glory. And Jesus said, You know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And they said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink it. 
the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on the left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it's prepared. And when the ten heard it, now James and John had asked the question from the right to the left. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Now, why were they displeased? Well, the obvious. Because if James and John had position one and two, that left them with three through twelve. They were going to be somewhere on the perimeter. And that upset them. And so they became jealous. They wanted those positions for themselves. But look how Christ answers again. You'll see commonality in Christ's answer. Because he gives the same kind of response. In verse 42, Jesus called them to himself. And he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. And this is the model that they had seen. The model they had seen was that the guy who's first, he lets it be known. I'm in control here. I'm in command and I lord it over them. But, uh, in verse 43, Yet it shall not be so among you. For whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And let me just interject here that the answer, the obvious answer, is to who's the greatest? Who is the greatest? And that's Jesus, of course. The greatest to ever live. But how did he model it? You know, if we looked at Christ's life, where do we see the greatest attainment of his glory? Wasn't it at the cross? Can, can you think of anything? I mean, creation's glorious. I know that. It's amazing to me that God can speak it into existence. But if I'm pointing to one event, and to say this is the event that points to the greatness and the glory of God, I point to the historic cross. Because it was there that I see the full nature of God, that I see the love of God, the plan of God, I see the grace of God, I see the mercy of God, I see all of those things wrapped up in the cross. And how did he do that? He became servant of all. And so, the answer is to who's greatest. You knew that coming in. That is Christ. But Christ also singled out a man, one man in particular, and he said, this guy is great. Can you think who it was? The greatest man born of a woman. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, that's right. John the Baptist. And in uh, Matthew 11, 11, Christ uses that phrase. He says that this guy, John the Baptist, is the greatest man born of a woman. He does go on to say, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. That explanation will wait for another time. Let's just take the first half of it. 
and that John the Baptist is described as being the greatest man born of a woman. So that put my mind into a pattern. I said, why? What was it about John the Baptist that made him to be the greatest? Look back to Mark chapter 1. While you're in the book of Mark, just turn back a few pages to chapter 1. It's kind of our introduction to John the Baptist. Once again, let me just read a few verses. In Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching of baptizing of, of repentance from the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those in Jerusalem went out to him, and they were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sin. Uh, John became pretty famous. He was well known. And, and when he preached, people came. But look at verse 6, the description of him. Now John was clothed with camels there, with a leather, leather uh, belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And incidentally, uh, and this is a true statement, if you want locusts to eat, you can order them on eBay. They're available right now. And you can order locusts and wild honey and eat like John the Baptist. All you have to do is go to eBay and search it. You'll find them. I have to stop long enough to tell you that. Some of you remember when the O'Neill's and Polsky store were in downtown Akron. Mm -hmm. And when we were about 13 years old or something like that, we used to either walk downtown, we lived in Springfield Township, or take a bus downtown and walk home. We usually didn't have enough money to ride both ways. But we'd go down and we'd go through the stores and ride the escalators and torment the clerks and do all the things that 13-year-old boys do. And in the back, I can't remember whether it's Polsky's O'Neill's, it's probably O'Neill's, and in the back of like the third floor, there was a counter there with exotic foods. And on that counter, you could buy chocolate-covered just about anything you want. Uh, chocolate-covered grasshoppers roasted, probably chocolate-covered locusts, I can't say for sure. But there are all of these exotic foods. Now, I know chocolate covering anything makes it pretty good, but somehow I could never bring myself, I don't know what they cost, if they were a nickel it was too much, uh, I could never bring myself to taste them. But people do eat, still, eat locusts and certainly wild honey. But then it says in verse 7, and he preached, said, and listen to what he said, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose, to stoop down and loose. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As I, as I look at John the Baptist there, uh, originally I was going to speak on John the Baptist this morning, but when I read the other passages, it took my mind a little different direction as to why was John the Baptist considered great. But when I look at him there, I see some things. The first thing I see is that uh, John was single-minded. He had one purpose in his life, 
And that was to pave the way for the Lord Jesus. He was the forerunner of Christ, prophesied as such. So, he had a single-minded approach to his life and to his ministry. That's good for us to think through, single-mindedness. But the second thing is he had a genuine humility. Uh, John had a humility. He could say, I'm not even worthy. If you get the picture, the lowest slave job would have been to get down before the guests and to take his shoes off and then to wash his feet. And John said, I'm not even worthy to kneel before Jesus and take his shoes off. There, there's a, a genuine humility there. So he was single-minded and he was humble, but there was also a simplicity to his life. Do you long for simplicity? I, I, I long for simplicity in my life. John had it. He dressed simply. Clothes didn't mean much to him, obviously. But he came looking at, like the most humble of servants before them. And his purpose was not in looking good to people. You know, I said earlier that there's only one opinion that matters. And that's true. But do we live that way? When we think of people making assessment on our life, do we really only care what Christ, the Lord, says? Or are there any other men pleasers here? Don't raise your hand. I'll raise mine. Are there any other men pleasers? I, I kind of like approval of men. I, I don't want to be disapproved. I want people to see me as somehow significant. I want people to approve of me. And, and trust me in this, that it's easy to get caught in the trap of being more concerned about the approval of man than it is about the approval of Jesus. Very easy to get caught in the trap. In fact, we live in it constantly. John the Baptist knew who he was. He knew who Christ was. And we would do well to be like John the Baptist. Christ said, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. He said, if you want to be first, be the last. He said, if you want to gain your life, then you must lose it. All of these things are contrary to our intuition. They're counterintuitive to everything that we are. But because the approval of God, because getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, I want to live in your favor today. I just want to honor you today. And if mankind isn't pleased with it, I'm satisfied. You know, I've, over the years, I've told my sons, and now I tell my grandsons if I can get their ear long enough, is that when you go to work, because they're entering the work-a-day world, that work every day in a way that would please the Lord. And I think that means that you give eight hours work for eight hours pay. You know, I think it means that you give just uh, labor for your pay, whatever that is. But if at the end of the day, you can honestly say, Lord, I believe I've worked in a way that would please you. If you can honestly say that, it's enough. That's enough. 
And if it's not enough for the employer, get another employer. Because the only one that really matters, the only assessment that really matters is the assessment of God, is the approval of God. And, and what criteria did he use? What criteria did he use in the life of John the Baptist? Uh, college, seminary degree, what, what did he use? John was the greatest of servants. And you see it in his humility, is that he had a servant's heart. And he came totally to serve the Lord Jesus, to pave the way for him. So the criteria was, who's the greatest servant? First Jesus, but then certainly John the Baptist, Franks of men. And as we think through our own life, this morning. So what do we do with this? You know, some of the things that John said and some of the descriptions about John are, I think, good for us to think through. For instance, how many of us can say, genuine before God, he must increase, but I must decrease? That's what John said. Jesus, he must increase. But me, I must decrease. I must get out of the way and allow him to be in the forefront. How many of us would say, you know, I'm not even worthy to get down and unlatch Christ's shoes? I mean, do we have a sense of who we are before God? Do we have that kind of humility before God? When we come to him, you know, we pray in Jesus' name. That's good. We're told to pray in Jesus' name. But it's much more than that. We come to our Father. We are praying in the merit of Jesus Christ. The only access that we have to God is through Christ our Savior and through His shed blood. And in humility, when we say, Lord, we're coming to you in Jesus' name, it's more than reciting a formula. It's acknowledging that our access to God is through Jesus and Him only. It takes humility to be able to speak that to God, and so it should be. So, he said that, uh, or the Bible describes him as the Lord's messenger. Wouldn't it be good if the Bible could describe us as the Lord's messenger? And wouldn't it be good if it could describe us as that they came to prepare the way for Christ? So in a real sense, that's why we're here, is to prepare the way for Christ. Someday he's coming back. And so as we bear witness to him and bear witness to his coming, we're Carrying the way for his coming, much like John the Baptist. But then in this, and I think this is the, the penultimate statement. You like that word? I know you do. The penultimate statement of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold him. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin. Isn't that our proclamation? Isn't it today that we speak to the people around us, Behold the Lamb of God, because He takes away the sin of the world, no other. So we, we would do well to look at John the Baptist and consider him as a model. Christ's name is great. I think that's enough. J.C. Ryle was an Anglican pastor, and he wrote this in 1856. Uh, and it seems to fit to me. He said, the best of men 
believe him at their very best. Alistair Begg wants that all the time if you listen to him. Well, this is probably where he got it. The best of men are only men at their very best. Patriarchs, prophets, and apostles, martyrs, fathers, reformers, puritans, all are sinners who need a savior. Holy, useful, honorable in their place, but sinners after all. And that, my friend, is who we are this morning. Uh, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, that we can put women in there too. The best of men, the best of women, are only men or women at their very best. And John said something uh, at the end of, we find it in John chapter 3. This is what he said. Uh, and I think that this is the verse, and Myrna, you can correct me, that Myrna read when she placed her faith and trust in Christ. John 3.36. Am I right in that? It was significant in your life? I'll put you on the spot. It says that he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That was John the Baptist's proclamation. So who's the greatest? Well, we won't have a contest here. We will have no discussion after the meeting as to which one was the greatest. Because if we're the greatest, we'll be polishing each other's shoes, right? We'll be serving one another. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us the illustration of, of how you assess greatness, of how you determine the value of our work on this earth. And Lord, your assessment is that the first shall be last. Your judgment is that we are to be servants of all. And that in our serving, Lord, we become significant, significant to you. Lord, I know from my heart of hearts that when we live to be served, when our life is ordered around what we can get and how we might be served, that it's a miserable life. And I also know, just in the practical wisdom, that those who serve are the happiest people on earth, Lord. So not only does it commend us before you, but it's a satisfying way to live our lives. So Lord, I pray first that you'd help us to be servants. And then I pray, as John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who has never confessed Christ as Savior and Lord of their life, that they would place their trust today, that they would believe today, and that they might move into the realm of the approved in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the illustration at the cross. Uh, Lord, you showed us what a servant is like. Thank you, Lord, for serving us. And this morning, Lord, we want to serve you. And we pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me?